So, um, this is not, again, I think this is our fifth or sixth time or till uh, doing the podcast. And it's always uh, some kind of trouble that the, that the world economy is in, that we, we have an emergency podcast with our trio. How you been? Good, things are great. Uh, I think we're going to solve uh, major world issues today in this podcast. So I'm excited about it. Uh, great to see you again, for sure. Yeah, yeah. For everybody who's listening, we're about to solve the, all the all the major world interest rates, inflation issues. So, you know, stay tuned for some non-investment advice. Um, and and again, for everybody maybe who didn't listen to our previous five, four or five episodes, could you do a brief introduction just so they know, uh, um, you know, a little bit more about you? For sure. Uh, so I am a CEO of Genesis AI. We are building a marketplace for artificial intelligence products and services, uh, basically a website that connects components and people in need of AI with, with components and people in uh, um, who have this AI and are interested to monetize their technology. And uh, so far, we raised over 5 million, I have team members who did PhD at Harvard, undergrad at Harvard, worked at Salesforce before, a great team of advisors and investors. And uh, also, we raised a couple of crowdfunding rounds, uh, which uh, resulted in us having around over 4,000 investors. So thanks to, uh, thanks to all of our investors, uh, we are where we are now and going forward. Sounds great. Um, yeah, and, and for anybody, I guess you can go back and, you know, in the podcast, you can see there about, I think, four or five episodes. I think the last episode we did was about AI, um, you know, which is, is your specialty, but, you know, there's a, your, your second specialty, I guess, would be finance as well. So uh, I'm going to ask a direct question. What do you think, which is the first uh, emerging, market, uh, emerging market country to default on their debt? <laughs> yeah, and for, for the listeners also, I used to work at uh, Bridgewater Associates for some time uh, and have been actively investing and trading since then uh, and before. So uh, first emerging markets. Uh, uh, so I think uh, Argentina has pretty high chances. Uh, and uh, but Easy that's answer. <laughs> yeah, that's a, exactly. That's an easy answer. Uh, that sort of maybe... Uh, uh, more than 50% price team, right? So I'm not sure how much opportunities there is uh, to sort of uh, make uh, generate some return. Outside of Argentina, uh, I think uh, uh, any country, the way I'm thinking about is uh, if uh, a country is uh, paying out a large portion of its total GDP as an interest rates in as interest payment in US dollar, I think those countries are ones who are in the biggest trouble because let's say if your interest payment as a percentage of your total GDP is let's say 10% a year in US dollar and US dollar appreciates by 40% against your currency, you have all those 40% increase in interest payments and uh, 
uh, that's uh, like 0.4% of total GDP in this case, right? Which is, which is a big number. And there are some countries that are having uh, very, very large debt to uh, GDP uh, ratios denominated in USD. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And that, that, that's why I asked the question. So, you know, I guess for the listeners who are not aware that, you know, basically the central banks have been raising interest rates to combat inflation. And uh, it's so far, it has been led by the uh, the Fed, the, the U.S. central bank. They are, I think, the most ahead in raising interest rates, at least from the major central banks. And you can see the ripples through the international markets, whether it's in UK, which we'll touch upon as well, or uh, you know what might be next to come. You know, we we see these currency moves, and I, I feel like the next move, the next thing to fall is when the currencies move. Is that these all of these debts, Archil mentioned, these payments balloon, and the countries you know, might not be in a position to uh, to pay them back. And Argentina is the absolute champion at defaulting on their debt. Uh, I think they defaulted like five times in the 20th century um, or like five times in 20 years or something like that. There was some kind of a insane, and that has a detrimental impact on the country for years to come because nobody trusts you anymore. Uh, what do you think about Japan? They are Japan. very in debt. Yeah, they are very interesting. So I'm actually, uh, I'm personally pretty long on Japan. And the uh, reason is, uh, two reasons. First, diversification, right? Most world countries, you see very high inflation. And Japan is an exception. They are still around or below 2% uh, inflation. Uh, so I want to diversify in terms of uh, how inflation is affecting each country. And second this part is... Uh, uh, generally, right, uh, it's great to uh, have a diversification across different countries. And uh, but going back to the first point, I think uh, uh, Japan is going to be in a lot less trouble in, than most countries just because of uh, inflation. So they will not need to raise interest rates way up, which means that their economy will not need to be contracted as a result of interest rate increases as much as other world economies. Yeah, I thought the space button was not, uh, it was not, you have to hold it. I thought I can just press it and it stays. Um, yeah, and I think that's a, that's a fair point. I think one, I guess the counter to that would be, it's, you know, they're now raising 2% interest rate, 2% uh, inflation for Japan uh, in the last one years, pretty high. I think they were in deflationary state um, and it, it looks like you know their currency has been their currency has been da damaged. I mean, it's it, with regards to the dollar, it lost I think thirty no twenty thirty percent I believe somewhere in that range. And uh, do you think that that itself, given that they import all the stuff, could have an inflationary impact? And what happens if they, in the end, have to raise interest rates and and they make a like they make a double mistake there where they have to raise interest rates, um, they're forced to. Yes. Yes. No, you know, I think this is one of the cases when uh, something bad is happening in the world and it actually pushes you to sort of uh, better than previous scenarios. So uh, right now, 2% inflation is definitely better for Japan than 0% that was before. So it's good for them. That's first and second. If they end up raising interest rates, uh, faster than the rest of the world, then their uh, currency will appreciate, right? But uh, 
I really don't think uh, net uh, there is big problem for uh, Japan Vlad uh, that uh, there's uh, their currency depreciation because their exports they're exporting so much and their exports are doing really well. One major actually when you look back in 1970, 1980 is one major reason why Japan exploded to the second largest economy was because of their weak currency and then us was uh, like you you cannot do that says this is unfair blah 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 and then they needed to sort of stabilize their currency right now japan uh, are is not really told you cannot uh, let the currency go to 150 because they know that there are forces in place that might not be under their full control yeah, I mean, that's a great point. And I think also the reason why you currently don't see the US government say anything about like, oh, you're manipulating your currency, your currency is low is because their major worry is the inflation and actually having a strong dollar if you're trying to solve inflation is actually very good for inflation in the United States. I mean, lowering inflation because everything that you import is uh, essentially cheaper. Um, so you would not be importing, for example, in Japan, if they were importing things, they're now more expensive. So they could import some inflation as well. But I get, I think your point to their cars and all things that they sell in the United States might be a good time to buy a car from Japan, you know, stuff like that. So um, yeah, I wonder, it's definitely going to have a positive impact on their growth, given that they, that they export a lot. And I wonder if at some future date, that growth is going to translate into more inflation, which I think they wanted because their long-term problem is demographics. They are very old. And this is why I think they're a perfect example of all the people that are saying, oh, you need less, less people in the world and whatnot. I feel like that's a perfect example of why you don't really need that. Because if you have less people born and then people just getting older, you get a population of old people that are not as productive. And then you have problems as Japan. Do you have exactly. any thoughts on that? Or yeah, that's a that point or? yeah, I think I, I don't, I'm not a believer in this. Uh, ideas that the world has uh, limited resources and uh, we need to really cut uh, how uh, many of us there are in order to, for us as a whole to live. Uh, I don't believe in that because I think productivity increase usually balances out uh, increase in number of people there are this first and second. Uh, more we develop uh, fewer kids, uh, we uh, give birth to a uh, per capita, right? So uh, you will get to a point where productivity is very high uh, just because of so much investments that went through it. Uh, so we are able to output lots of food, lots of energy very efficiently. And uh, people are not really giving birth to that, uh, that uh, many uh, children. So I think. Uh, we might end up, I think there's a chances of uh, um, us being, uh, us having the same problem as Japan in uh, 50 years, the world having the same problem as Japan versus uh, we being overcrowded uh, at a level where it's unlivable, Earth is unlivable. You know? Yeah, and I think there's one, uh, I think in, in actually in geography and like when they study like population and population increases, Everybody assumes that, oh, yeah, the, the, you know, po population in India is just going to continue rising at the same pace, where like in every single country that went through industrial evolution, and especially if they have a raise in standard where people are like, have, they have a middle class, like now they're having in China, people tend to have less kids. And you've seen that everywhere. You've seen that from 50s in the Western world. You see it now in China. You see it, you're going to see it in India. So people tend to have less kids. 
as soon probably as the risk of people dying goes down and you have more resources, you tend to be like, I don't need, like from an evolutionary standpoint, it makes sense. Like I don't need seven kids for one of them to survive. Now I know if I have two, they're most probably both are going to survive and, and live into a healthy life. Um, that's a really, really interesting one. That was my question like, why is that, right? Because then there are cases when uh, there are lots more people who do not want kids at all, right? So how would you explain that? Yeah, I wonder if people, yeah, I don't, I don't know, honestly. Um, there are a lot of people that, yeah, that, that maybe, maybe it's just a, is it, is it the lifestyle or do we become more self-centered? Um, you know, and then why would you become more self-centered? Is is it these big big environments and cities they make us like that? I, I don't know. Mm, interesting. Yeah, exactly. I was going that direction as well. If you have increased uh, self-interest and increased self-love, is uh, the result of uh, there being a lots more opportunities for you to? Uh, summer into yourself and enjoy life yourself right uh, when you realize that you do not need other people as much said uh, a hundred years ago you start to focus more on yourself maybe and when you start to focus more on yourself then you realize i actually do not need kids to feel fulfilled because i can play computer game instead of playing with my kids, right? I can uh, buy shoes for myself instead of buying it for my kid. You realize you don't need to, yeah, maybe this first and second, uh, more self-centered you are, less nurturing you are, I guess, right? And uh, uh, usually there's strong correlation how nurturing person is and his willingness to have kids probably. So uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think the other the other thing I would add is it could be as simple as it's more expensive. Because like if you think if you're in a village in Georgia, for example, and you have five kids, I mean you just need a cow. You <laughs> know, like you need a cow and you need a couple of potatoes and you're good to go. Like they're gonna but if you're in a city, you know, any city becomes more expensive, there is more competition, more people have money, and then you have to they have to go to school and they have to, like they're legally obliged to go to school and then you want to put them through a good school that costs money all oh, they want to travel a little bit so you know if you live a simple life it might be more simple to have more kids but if you live a more complex life it might be more expensive to not have i always think it's this this type of like a maslow hierarchy at the bottom that decides most of these um these uh, kind of like existential decisions yes i think that, that might explain well because i personally do not agree about the uh, expense part because usually your wealthier countries have uh, fewer kids versus uh, poorer countries right so even though as uh, they have more disposable income they still have fewer fewer kids right uh, because uh, yes uh, in the uh, u.s you start to think about uh, do i have enough money to send my kid to a private school right do i have enough money to give him the best healthcare possible. But in India, you probably think about, do I have enough food for my kids, right? And uh, I think in the end, uh, we might be okay with uh, uh, giving birth to a kid, even though we know that we might not be able to send them into private school. But if you know that you might not even be able to feed them, you probably will not be okay, right? Yeah, I mean, we could go deeply into this. I, I think there's also an aspect of like, 
do we have enough people to fight the lion? <laughs> so it's like, let's make more people to make sure we're safe. But um, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, we went on the side, on the, we, we kind of sidetracked, but it's an interesting conversation to have. And then you could do a whole podcast about like why this is happening. Um, but I think Japan is a good example. Argentina is a good example. And I think most recently we've seen, what do you think about what happened in the UK? Like for me to see, like they had a new, I believe a new prime minister or a chancellor or both. And they passed some regulation on tax cuts in the middle of having inflation of 10% uh, that they're going to finance by issuing more debt. And that that basically, you know, sent ripples through their bond market. Um, what what if, To me, it seems crazy that like a country like UK has fiscal policy, the people who are deciding on the fiscal policy essentially go against their own central bank. So like they're, they're, they're combat, like, yeah, that's, that's, what do you think yeah. there? Yeah, crazy. I think it's just, uh, I think a reason, a reason is uh, democracy, you know, I think that's uh, one word explanation of why it's happening, what's happening. New government came in, they want to impress people uh, and uh, they uh, ran out of ideas. So they decided, okay, uh, uh, we might be in the party for next a few years only. We need to maximize our re-election. So way we can do that is by borrowing from future generations, you know, taking our debts and cutting taxes and giving to people right now, which who right now will probably re-elect us again, right? So, so I think and uh, just uh, uh, and people have been. Uh, uh, most people who are not super sophisticated have been okay with this because they take a look to their small restaurant. Oh, I'll need to pay less, right? Or uh, average family in uh, Birmingham, they are going to think that, oh, you know, I'll need to pay less in energy. I think all of those strategies were excessive and unnecessary and illogical, except the energy funding that they provided because. It's getting so expensive to uh, even shower in Europe these days that I think people truly needed some sort of energy subsidy. Yeah, yeah, that, that makes sense. I, I think one of the things that, you know, I wonder if we're going to see more of this in the, in the Western countries that at, at, as we come at the end of the cycle of this debt cycle, where all the majority of the Western countries are very, they're very indebted. They've been with zero interest rates for a long, long time, low, very low interest rates. And now kind of that regime is changing where to, in order to fight inflation, you have to raise interest rates, which long-term is not bullish at all. Long-term, it seems like we're gonna have to go through some pain. Uh, you're not gonna see central banks, you know, well, well, that's questionable, but in theory, you would not be able to see central banks, you know, doing quantitative easing or bailing out uh, companies or whatnot. Um, because they just don't have any tools anymore. But it seems like the central bank has a long-term kind of incentive, but then the politicians have a very short-term incentive. So I wonder if that's going to result in ultimately even worse outcome for the UK because the politicians are going to come in and put in populist ideas to be reelected in the short term. But ultimately, the central bank of UK is going to have to raise interest rates way higher if the, if, the, if the inflation goes way higher, which means that the economy is going to crash even further. But the politicians don't care because they're going to crash with, when somebody else is on, in power, which is, yes, to me, I... A, I uh, that's a great point. It's an absolutely great point. And uh, I think uh, 
Uh, and then the question is why those type of things uh, that happen in the United Kingdom doesn't happen every in every major democracy. And I think my hypothesis is because uh, it's um, when you elect uh, governments that's not centrist, but is very much on one of the extreme side, they know that they can do extreme things like this and uh, they're still going to have support. Just imagine if Biden did this and Republicans would probably go crazy and Biden would probably really lose the re-election in, in, uh, in two years and midterm elections as well, right? But in the uh, United Kingdom, they elected someone who was so extreme and so radical that uh, she knew she could, she could get away with this and she did it, you know? Yeah, yeah, and and to me that's yeah, to me that's very. I wonder if we're going to start seeing a little bit more of this. Um, I really, I really wonder because uh, to me this kind of I, I sometimes when I see this in kind of emerging countries, especially like Eastern European countries, it, I'm kind of used to it. But I've I think in my life at least to when I could understand what's going on, I think I've never seen a, like a, such a beautiful example of populist thing that doesn't really a decision that doesn't really make sense. Um, in, in the long term, um, so given I guess given the overall picture, it's it, to me it seems like I'm the most bullish on the U.S. right now, given how it currently things are looking. You know, the strong dollar means that it's actually good for lowering inflation, probably not good for growth, but it means that you know less important inflation is going to be in the United States. So where do you see? I know as as we were speaking today, this is Friday the thirtieth. I think the Eurozone just printed 10% inflation for September. How do you see this generally um, developing in the next few months, also with the Ukraine war? Where do you see this going? Um, yes. yes, so I'm personally uh, uh, very optimistic about uh, US, India, and uh, China, the three countries. Uh, I'm not uh, uh, optimistic about Eurozone uh, at all and uh, not about other areas as well. With uh, Eurozone, uh, so um, Eurozone is an uh, area where high inflation numbers are usually priced in. For example, United Kingdom has been talking about 16% year-end inflation. In the US, uh, uh, it's completely opposite. People have been expecting a lot less inflation than numbers actually showed. Uh, so I do not make any bets in relative to inflation in Eurozone just because so much inflation is priced in. And also geopolitical event, uh, Russia-Ukraine war is so uncertain it can go anyway. It's probably going to escalate even more because uh, I think the last thing uh, uh, Russia wants to see is to lose territories that uh, uh, for which so much blood and so much reputational damage was was done, right? Um, so I think we're going to see even worsening uh, situations there. And Eurozone seems like there is truly no short-term short solution in that. So I think they will need to go through a major pain to bring the inflation down through economic contraction. Or you're going to see a lot more people like Liz Truce getting elected and then doing some crazy fiscal stimulus, which probably will end up resulting in euro as a currency, probably needing to be replaced by something else in the next five years, probably, or 
Eurozone as a whole may be collapsing. Uh, so we might see similar vibes as we saw in during before a second world war. Yeah, and, and you know, that's deeply concerning to me because I, I don't see a scenario. I, I feel like, you know, I think we're, you know, we, we I think Europe will, will go through a very painful, I mean, depending on how, how long the conflict lasts, but I think Europe will go through a very, at this point, I don't think there is a way back where, they, where Europe doesn't go through a very painful recession. But then we have China growth slowing. Then we have US who probably will also go through a recession. And we have a war, so it's I don't know it's it's just it's it's very very concerning. And then on the other side, we have like NATO saying that they will protect their infrastructure. Uh, we have Putin threatening with with nuclear war. Like it's really getting to a point where like things very bad things like the risk of something bad happening, very very bad happening. I think it's completely uh, mispriced, even in the markets. I think. Yes, yes, I agree. I agree. It's, I think especially the earnings. Uh, I was looking at uh, 12 months forward uh, earnings per share estimates in US and uh, it's just like slightly lower than uh, what it is right now. So uh, earnings reduction is not really priced in, which is uh, which is crazy. I mean, interest rates, uh, high interest rates right now probably are already uh, largely well-priced in. Maybe uh, instead of 4%, I think like 4.25 should be priced in around 4.25 to 4.5, but largely priced when earnings are not. And uh, it's crazy that people think that we can bring down the inflation without going through major pain. Because here is uh, uh, here is an example. So in 2021 and 2020, we remember the whole boom in all things, assets and economy, right? And that was happening when inflation was sort of gradually going up. So if 6% change in inflation was accompanied by incredible economic boom, how you can have 6% change in inflation again, but on the lower side right now, without equivalent uh, level of negative boom accompanying the economy, aka substantial contraction. There is no way. For me, it's very, very uh, uh, similar to, uh, uh, to uh, soccer, right? Uh, if it takes X amount of force to send the ball into a goal, it will take a person similar amount of force to send the the uh, the ball back to you, right? I mean, this is crazy that people think about the soft lending and we can have uh, 2% inflation by, uh, by everything being the same. I think that's really impossible. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, if, if I were to, you know, if I were to be optimistic at this point, I think the one thing I would say is if you think about, like I'm currently optimistic in terms of U.S. inflation going down. I think, you know, you mentioned, you know, if you remember the, the inflation going up, um, if you remember the inflation going up at that period in 2020, 2021, first things that went up were, um, what's it called, lumber, commodities spiked up quickly. Now all of those, including oil, are down. Like they're the first one to go up and they're the first one because they're materials that are used in building and then, you know, commodities essentially. So they're first one to go up, they're first one to go down. And I think we are already seeing them. Lumber is back to pre-pandemic prices. Uh, oil is down 30%. So 
So I think we're seeing, well, I think we're seeing uh, the inflation go down slowly. Um, and and you, that's the first uh, kind of example of where you can see it first, which will later impact you know, transportation of goods and services, freight costs, which then impact the goods and services that you buy at the store because it costs less to bring them to the store, blah, blah, blah. And it seems that some of the problems that were in the supply chain are slowly being resolved from the pandemic uh, kind of levels. I think one of the things that is maybe a little bit, it's not optimistic, but pessimistic is that psychologically inflation, you know, when they talk about inflation being sticky is that at, at the point where, you know, it's funny, you can you speak to people. I, I was speaking here to a cab driver who was telling me like, here we have a boom still in real estate. And, and, he, and he was buying, he was buying a, an apartment, uh, half with loan, half from some, some money that he's borrowing. And, and I'm like, oh, this is definitely a bubble. If, if, if a cab driver is buying the apartment, with half loan, half this, and probably a variable interest rate that's going to go up to who knows where. There's definitely a bubble. But on the other side, he was telling me like, I mean, it's better to buy it now. The prices are never going to go down. And I was like, this is a like a textbook example of like why behavior um, is very impactful of, 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 of inflation. Because as soon as you believe that the price is going to go up, always it makes sense to you to buy it now because it's going to be, become more. And by you buying now, you actually create more inflation. So that's that's one thing that you know might take some time, and, and you know I, I really hope that doesn't it doesn't result in too many people losing their jobs. That's a great point, and I think only real solution is for people not to have money to uh, act on their beliefs that the price is going to go up, and so they need to do it right now. Because if I just uh, let's say if I don't have any more money left uh, to buy things. Uh, uh, and uh, probably other people will not be giving me loan because they start to see increased defaults and I'll not be able to get a loan and I'll not be able to uh, make those purchases. And the only way to get people to the level where they do not have money are like, it's like two things, right? Asset prices should go down. So there's a negative loss effect. And second is unemployment rates should go up. Right, and so if uh, there are, let's say, three, four, four, four percent uh, increasing unemployment rates, we go, let's say, from four percent now to eight percent now. There are that means like millions of people who do not have enough resources to act on their beliefs, and uh, uh, inflation is really uh, in a bigger, not just small number, right? Six percent, seven percent. So if you have four, four percent people consuming a lot less, you're probably gonna have. Uh, lot less uh, uh, demand for uh, pro goods and services, which all sequel means uh, lower prices, right? Yeah, and I would add two things to circle back to like the strong dollar. Uh, I believe that in S&P 500, 50% uh, of the revenues uh, are basically international uh, from the five, 500 largest companies in the United States. I believe it's S&P 500 or 100. But like, for example, like Apple has a lot of revenues that are coming from either China or whatnot, with a strong dollar, those revenues are going to go down because they're in foreign currency. So you're going to, just by the currency, you're going to see depreciation in, in earnings by like, you know, at least there like for 10, 10% or something um, in, in, you know, five or 10%. So that's, that's negative for growth. That's negative for stocks. And then I wonder now that we mentioned, you know, defaults to go back to Argentina and whatnot. Now, given that we were living in the low yield environment for 20 years, I wonder how much exposure do U.S. banks have to foreign debt? Because for sure, somebody at some bank decided we can't find the returns anywhere for investors. 
guess what? Let's go here. Let's go there. Let's experiment with these guys. And I wonder, you know, that's one thing that could like, you know, appear from nowhere, like in the eighties when Paul Walker raised interest rates, I think, uh, that, you know, one of the results was that. So yeah, I, I wonder how much, uh, you know, exposure do they have and, and what we're going to see. That's an interesting question. I think there's more exposure for China probably than for US because of their uh, belt uh, initiative, right? They spent one trillion either as an investment or as a loan on developing countries, including Argentina. So, and uh, yes, so I mean, if those countries' loans go bad, uh, yes, uh, China will be left with collateral, which are bridges and uh, big, uh, big refineries and so on, and roads and so on, which basically means they're going to pretty much own those countries, right? When if you own the infrastructure, you probably pretty much own everything uh, in the country. Uh, um, uh, and, and China, and, and China, you know, Montenegro is one of the countries that, that borrowed from China for, to build a, the highway. Um, so they don't, they don't lend to you in their own currency, they lend to you in dollars. So, you know, keep in mind what we were mentioning, you know, exposure to dollar, that's if you're if you borrow from China, they usually, you know, they they give you money, they give you dollars. So there's gonna be interesting things. And and I wonder if this is gonna be if they're maybe they calculated that they're gonna be fine with that and they're they're okay with you know not you know taking the collateral and kind of getting into these countries and having more influence. Maybe that's part of the strategy. So it's like a win-win for them. We either get geopolitical influence or we get our money back. Um yeah, uh, interesting. So, okay, so let's say uh, we have, I think, three minutes. So to conclude quickly, I would say if we meet six, six months from now, what, what, what do you think the situation is in the global politics, Europe, war, US? Uh, yeah, so I think, uh, uh, I think in terms of war, we are going to see, uh, uh, it's really hard to say, but uh, probably really going to see uh, mobilizations that uh, is starting in Russia, sort of bearing some fruits in terms of a lot more people from Russia being sent to Ukraine and uh, Russia being able to hold its uh, territories uh, that, it, uh, that it annexed, right? So I think that's what we are going to see. Uh, we probably will not see Ukraine taking over uh, those parts. Uh, nor we are going to see as a result of Ukraine taking over uh, Russia uh, using a nuclear weapon. I don't think we're going to see. I don't think it's going to get there just because if Russia sends lots of people in those areas, I think they will be able to defend it. Um, because remember, Russia had uh, Russia usually is pretty adaptable. For example, they were losing the war so badly initially. And then they restructured their plan. They uh, uh, changed to where they were directing their attention. And then they were able to at least take some areas, uh, the priority areas, right? Similar enough, Ukraine just started counteroffensive. Russia was caught on guard. And now they are adapting again. They're probably going to find a way how to hold those territories. So when it comes to Eurozone, I think inflation is really going to go like, 30 40 percent year end maybe more maybe even 60 percent when winter starts hitting and uh, i see we are gonna have uh, more governments like uh, 
similar to Liz Truth, probably getting reelected in next uh, 12 months in Europe, uh, which is going to bring Europe to uh, pre-World War type uh, governance structures where you have really, really crazy people in the government. In the US, I personally expect that S&P 500 is probably going to go down and other, I would say, 15 percent, uh, between 15 to 20 percent, uh, mainly because of uh, our earnings being uh, different uh, from what's expected, uh, being a lot less than what's, what's expected. And, uh, but I'm very bullish about China and uh, bullish about India too. Sounds good. In interesting, interesting, interesting. And who knows what the hell will happen, you know, with, with all yeah. of these, like, you know, uh, strong opinions loosely held, I, guess, I believe, like in, the, in these cases, like you never know what's going to happen when, when there's, there's so much, so much unknown, especially with the war happening. Um, well, Archil, thank you so much. I know we have less than a minute. You know, it's always been a pleasure to discuss these events with you. And I uh, hope to have you back in a little bit more of a boomish environment where we can discuss some investments and not be so pessimistic. 100% is absolutely great. Thank you.